Welcome to Deus Books. Join us on a journey into the heart of Catholicism through the most interesting reading, stories, and doctrines that the church has to offer. All right, so today we're going to do something a little different. We're going we're to change it up. We've done pretty much a year, almost, of straight book work. We've been like bookworms. Books. Books. Deus Books. Yeah, I mean, that's the title of the podcast, so I guess it's appropriate. But... <laughs> Today, we want to switch things up a little bit. We are going to test our banter skills because we're doing it live. We are going to research random topics and then banter about them. Well, I'm going to add a little context to this. All right. That's oh, probably look, important. My encyclopedia just flopped over. <laughs> um, so last... I think it was 2021. I was at a garage sale, mm -hmm. and someone was selling uh, a whole crate of Catholic encyclopedias. Oh wow! And I was like, "Oh, I kind of want one of those just for like just for funsies to put on my bookshelf." Because you're cool. a history buff. Yeah, and so I picked volume one because uh, I don't need twelve encyclopedias, right? Correct. And I took so I took one, and I walked up to the guy, and I was like, "Hey, how much for this Catholic encyclopedia?" And he goes. I, I won't sell you one. I'll sell you the whole set for two dollars. And I was like, so I gotta take the whole set? And he's like, Yes. And so I took the whole set and then I've just been hanging on to these. And then you and I were talking one day. We were talking about how to how to change not change things up, but uh, you know keep it creative. Different. Yeah. Keep it creative. And I was like, dude, I got all these encyclopedias. I could just like we could just like read through one of them and Basically, I reached a point where I was like, I'm not about to sit through and read 12 right. volumes of encyclopedia. <clears throat> yeah, that was not good. And so how do we make use of this? Well, I'm just going to open this sucker up and start searching for interesting yeah. things just to see. Because this was this encyclopedia, it's the Catholic Encyclopedia for School and Home. Mm. was written in like the 50s. Oh, so that... that <laughs> and so I just wanted... I'm just kind of curious, like yeah. what were they writing about from the Catholic land in the 1950s? Right. Like that they felt the need to put an entire set of encyclopedias from a Catholic perspective. Yeah. And so that's sort of where the idea originated is I'll bust this sucker open. Yeah. And we'll find things to comment on. And then, you know, you were like, I don't want to read an encyclopedia, so I'm going to find modern stuff yeah. and we could contrast it with. So, what so I'm, there's structure to this, yeah, just not really. Well, sort of. So <laughs> we poured ourselves some libations. You got some, what, wine over there? Yeah, I'm just having some blood of Christ over yeah, here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's not the blood of Christ. It's This is just wine. And uh, I, I said that just to upset you. I know that. you did. And I poured myself some uh, DiSerono and Coke and a splash of lemon juice, and I mixed it with one of your mom's amazing like gingerbread cookie sticks, and it was delicious. Wow. So, yeah, we, we got some uh, things flowing, and uh, we're going to really test our capabilities because we're going to research this live. So it's basically I'm going to say go, and then we're going to find stuff, and then we're going to banter about it, and we'll see how this goes. This is super experimental. We have we're, no idea where this is going. We're what? Two minutes into this, right? Four minutes. Four minutes. This is an experimental episode. Totally. If you listen to our podcast, but hate when you, me and Johannes speak things off the book. Yeah. Skip this episode. You ain't going to yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't like us going off the cuff and just doing it live, 
you will not yeah. like this podcast. Like but those handful of episodes where we went on a rabbit hole for yeah, like 20, 30 yeah. minutes. If you didn't like those, you're probably you not going to You probably like will not like this. So Jared's going to look in through his, uh, his historic en- encyclopedia, and I'm going to ask Google uh, some Catholic things and let Google complete the question and see what pops up. But if you know me or Johannes personally, and yeah. you're not ISIS and you like our company... <laughs> Then stick around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm. So let's cheers to this. Let's because this is like a whole new cheers. Yeah, and cheers. this is very Catholic of us, by the way. This is very much so. We got incense burning. We got libations. Oh, yeah, flowing. I got an incense burning. Yeah, go this on. is great. Here we go. Amen. Delicious. All right. So you're searching. I'm gonna look. Um, I'm. I, I got to take it away right here. Oh, you already have it. Well, I just opened up and I found something funny. All right, so well, I'm it's gonna, not funny, but it's. I'm gonna type in what does Catholic and see what happens. See if I find anything interesting. So I, I'm trying. I've spent probably ten minutes just sort of like thumbing through this book, and I have no idea like what its whole purpose was. I know it's designed for school and home. That's what it said. That's good. But like the variety of content is in here is very odd so i'm on this page that says sisterhoods okay yeah listen to this the 16th and 17th centuries were marked by conflicting points of view concerning the way in which the religious life of women should be organized and the ways in which women religious should perform works of mercy during this period new dynamic ideas concerning the field of apostolic and charitable work were being realized and then it's like a survey of like different convents around the world so there's sisters of charity in parentheses gray nuns oh wow do you know what they are no why don't you tell us known as the gray nuns the sisters of charity were founded in canada by mother marie margaret de in 1738 a pontifical community, the sisters teach on elementary and secondary levels and engage in hospi- hospital administration and social services in 1855. They open their first foundation. Hey, I actually have something that reminds me. This is why we do this. Yeah. So you see, you see how they said like they do secondary or like elementary education and hospital work. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever noticed like if you're watching movies like? orphanages are like always depicted with like nuns running yeah. it and like part of that was in the early development of the United States especially and around the world it was like the church made a conscious effort to step in where they felt like society was lacking so if you wonder why the, when you go to like if you were to see orphanages today it's not filled with a bunch of nuns that's because society sort of stepped in and took over that role, whereas the church felt the need to, basically, because there was no service for it. Mm. So it's one of the positive things about like the church in early American history. I don't know if you knew that. but I did not. That's why, so orphanages and early childhood education um, and then like hospitals were like the three main areas that the church felt the need that there was a, a lack in society that they had to step in and fulfill. So there That's you have awesome. it. What a great, the church is really just amazing. 
1964, there were over 180,000 sisters in the United States. Wow. I don't know how many there are now. It can't I, be that many, right? No. Let's see. Well, let's ask Google this. How many Catholic <laughs> sisters <laughs> in the U.S.? The pictures in this book are just fantastic. Oh, I'm sure. But look, I'm flipping through here. Now I see Social Security tax rates from 1961 to 1968. Johanna, simple question. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why is <laughs> that in the there? What does the church say about... What? It well, literally no. just has a graph of social security. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's just interesting. Oh, here we go. The need for social insurance was felt as more and more of the population moved to cities and took jobs in industries. Wow. So I don't know if that's under the same branch of what I was talking about. but So I found the answer. So this is according to ABC News. Okay. Uh there are, of course, see, this is what I hate, like, when Google, like, uh, here we go. So in 2022, there were, you ready for this? Yes. Reportedly fewer than 42,000 nuns in the United States, which is a 76% decline over 50 years. That's a lot. There yeah, will be had fewer what? than 1,000 left by 2042. Oh, my word. Yeah. Wow. Then there's the debate of, uh, you know, when did this start happening? What is your thought on that? Uh, well, the easy the easy one to jump to is Vatican II, right? Mm. Or, But uh, I wouldn't put the blame on Vatican II for that. I would say maybe just the societal unrest or changes that happened between, you know, the 1950s through the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about how different society was, like, obviously, like, being a nun just becomes less appealing, right? Yeah. And also, maybe as women made their way into the workforce, like, mm. being a nun lost its appeal i don't know i mean it sounds like like my go-to is like the just overall decline in catholicism in the united states from the 60s does that make this yeah i would i would be interested to see like what the number if like if the numbers are related or like if they um if the ratio stays the same uh i found like if the number, like say, <clears throat> um, there were like you know five or like ten nuns for every hundred people in 1960, and there was this you know decline, and now you know there's instead of a hundred Catholics, there's are now seventy. Would the ratio? Oh, be you're the saying same? the ratio between <clears throat> yeah. practicing Catholics versus those who go into ordination? That's right. an interesting question. Because I think that's what ultimately matters. Yeah. And if the, because then if the ratio does not stay the same, if there's a, a more dramatic drop in women entering religious orders than there's a drop in practicing Catholics, then that says something. Well, you know what's interesting to think about is I feel like a lot of Catholic numbers 
are helped by the fact that people might leave the church in early age and then come back at a later point in time. Mm. And if you think about being a nun, you can't really do that to the same no, degree. You like you already might be married and have kids by the time you come back. Like a lot of people do come back to the Catholic faith. They might not have been practicing Catholics in like early adulthood and then come back. I don't know. That's just a theory I have. I'm going to look at, uh, let's see here. No, keep going. But I, because there's like different articles on this, like why did, you know, Vatican, after Vatican II, why did people leave, yada, yada. There's like seven pages of just different convents throughout the United States, like Kansas, Seton, Providence, Rhode Island, um, St. Vincent de Paul, Charity of St. Louis. Like there's a bunch of them. Uh, I wonder, like, how much merging happened between now and then. But, hey, I, can I switch gears, though? Because I found something yeah. that, that I do actually know about. St. Simeon the Stylite. Have I talked about him on this podcast? I don't think He's so. one of my favorite saints because his story is so bizarre. Are you ready for this? Yeah. St. Simeon the Stylite was an early ascetic, meaning like the precursors to the monastic people, people that went and lived outside of society. He lived on top of a pole, top of a pillar for what? 30 years. That was how he practiced his asceticism. And so they have a little section in him. Yeah, basically, it's actually a hilarious story. So he was a preacher, popular Catholic preacher, and people were, he was kind of like becoming known for being a good preacher. So people were coming to like follow him, right? And he felt like he was maybe letting it get to his head, like ego wise. And so he kind of scared himself and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. So he retreats from the world and climbs on top of a pole to literally just go be by himself and with God and then, like, reject the ego in his mind, right? Mm. So he lives on top of a pole. Yeah. And obviously, people are like, you're telling me there's a guy living on top of a pillar? I got to go see that. Yeah. So he I drew, mean, it's, yeah, it's different. He drew even bigger crowds to come see him, and then he lived on that pole for 30 years, and then monks started copying him. And living on top of poles. His name was St. Simeon the Stylite because he lived on top of a stylite. And what's really cool is it sounds bizarre, but we know it's a real place because the church that he did it at, well, the monastery that they built for him, was intact until, like, I think 2014, ISIS blew it up. It was in Turkey. Um, but they, anyways, the reason I brought that up is because they, they have a section on him. It says, born in about 390, on the borders of Syria, Simeon was a first of a long line of hermits who lived on top of a pillar. This particular form of asceticism was popular for more than 600 years, and those who practiced it were known as stylites, from the Greek word for pillar, stylos. Simeon died September 2nd, 459. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I mean, I would see someone living on a pillar. It's like one of those things that it's like, no, like BS, right? I mean, and you go see it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and all the artist representations of him, he looks absolutely miserable. 
Just just a fun fact I'll throw out there. Well, yeah, if you're living on a pillar. I want to know how he went to the bathroom. Well, he's living on a pillar, so he probably just used gravity. Do you want to know the percentage of Catholics in Sudan in the 1960s? Yeah. Two and a half percent. Wow. 67% Muslim. Uh, 29% traditional religions and 1% Protestant. Wow. Right after Simeon the Stylite. Right after him. Chain game chain. Well, I guess this is in alphabetical order. Well, yeah, it's an encyclopedia. Well, I excuse me for not being well versed in the <laughs> world of encyclopedias. <laughs> they are in alphabetical order. Do you first of all, do you have anything or are you just gonna let me ramble on for an hour? This is kind of entertaining to me. <laughs> Should I look up? Uh, should I look up like random news on Pope Francis to see what crazy stuff they? Or go to like Catholic News Agency or something. No, well, let's see. Pope Francis. I want to see because with the media, sometimes they say some crazy stuff, and I want to see what they're saying about the amount of time I spend saying no. Pope Francis did not say that, or he did not change that. Yeah, is actually unbelievable. Oh, here's here's something. So the this is from ABC News, but the Pope warns Vatican staff an elegant demon lurks among them. What? <laughs> what do you think that means? Uh, I'm assuming he means like an ideology that he's uh, calling yes. a demon. That's my guess. Tell me what it is. So fun fact. Okay. St. Paul VI. He's a saint now, by the way. Former Pope. He's the Pope that closed the Vatican Council. Yeah, Pope John the Twenty Third opened Saint, it. Yeah, Pope Saint John Twenty Third opened it, and then Pope Saint Paul the Sixth closed it. Can I pause you there? Don't All forget right. your fun fact. Okay, I won't. Imagine being Pope John the Twenty Third, and you call this monumental <laughs> council, and then you die after its first <laughs> session. I feel so bad for that guy. I mean, yeah, I mean that's horrible. Yeah, but anyways, continue. So, fun fact: the smoke. Of Satan, right? Uh, Pope Paul the Sixth, Saint Pope Paul the Sixth, Pope Saint Paul the Sixth. However you want to say it, um, he said it. The smoke of Satan has entered the church, and he said this long time ago. See, I'm looking this up right now. I was going to say, are you like <laughs> teasing the? Yeah, I am reveal, totally. Or? So, in the beginning of the seventies. So this. Uh, in June 29, this is uh, June 29 is the feast day for Saints Peter and Paul. That's another fun fact. In 1972. Killed by Emperor Nero. Yup. And uh, the Pope said, we would say that, notice how he uses we, because he's the Pope. We would say that through some mysterious crack, no, it's not mysterious. Through some crack, the smoke of Satan has entered the church of God. Do you think he's preluding the sex abuse crisis that was to that started yeah. kind of I around mean, that he, time? He goes on to saying that people don't trust the church anymore, yada yada. And I think, I think what he meant, what he meant, what he meant by that, what he meant by that, dang Satan's smoke. <laughs> What he mean with that smell is like, yeah, this, 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 
the sinfulness has penetrated the church. And, um, and I think that's what Pope Francis is alluding to here when he says elegant demon. Okay. So anyway, I just took like 10 minutes to describe that. So um, he's talking to the Curia, and he talks, uh, you, he says, quote, yet we are in dan- greater danger than all others because we are beset by the elegant demon who does not make a loud entrance but comes with flowers in his hand. Francis told the churchman in the Hall of Blessings of the Apostolic Palace. So yeah, he's, he's, I mean, I think. I mean, think about this. Does he say what it is, or he's, is he just being ominous for ominous sake? <laughs> he says uh, we could easily fall into the temptation of thinking we are safe, better than others, no longer in need of conversion. Hmm. So he's talking about like complacency, complacency, and he's also talking about rigidity. He calls it a. Spiritual Alzheimer's. Interesting. I like that phrase. So he's, um, yeah, he, he uh, also talked against living like hypocritical double lives. So basically, he's getting what he's getting at is he doesn't want the the cardinals to be complacent. Okay. When they run their dicasteries. And is it okay to say I'm a little disappointed? I thought he was gonna like name someone and no. be like. You're the demon. <laughs> You're the elegant hey, demon. Hey, uh, do you know um, there's a guy, and I suspect one day we will read this book on our podcast, okay. Dave's Books. That is the podcast that we run. Yeah, that is um, the podcast. That Paradise, we run. Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained by John Milton, the poetry of like creation and the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay. Are you familiar with that? Nope. I think uh, no. I think my old office that was, that might have been on the shelf actually. But yeah, uh, it's it's common. It's a popular book, but it's sort of overshadowed because Dante did the same thing. Well, Dante, it's overshadowed because it's like you think of Christian poetry. What do you think of? You think of um, Dante's Divine Comedy mostly. Yeah. So it's a little overshadowed, but it's still considered a classic. But one of the interesting things that I think is important for Christians to sort of understand is. The way John Milton describes Satan in uh, Paradise Lost is like he's almost like intoxicatingly attractive. Like he's so alluring. It's like it's like what he was describing is what we would understand as like peer pressure in high school today. Yeah. It's like Satan is not some like evil grotesque monster that like takes you over but rather he's someone that lures you in with like like seduces you almost Mm -hmm. and it's like almost impossible to like resist it sort of it's an interesting spiritual take on satan that i like well here's the thing though if satan showed up with like a tail and horns first off i'd be like (laughs) terrified second off i'd be like well i know not to listen to that thing yeah bad guy (laughs) (laughs) bad guy called it thanks uh and so satan would lose he'd be like oh i lost another one dang it but uh so satan has to one satan also can't create anything so like he all he has to do is like skew stuff we kind of talked about this in our podcast yeah, uh, the uh, uh, Exorcist explains the demonic. Great episode. Um, but yeah, like he has to present himself as something attractive, or else no one would ever fall for him. 
Yeah. And um, think, too, of uh, another callback to our episode. Uh, remember when we did uh, the screw tape letters? Mm. For most of that book, the demons conceal themselves right. intentionally. Yeah. They don't want them, right. the guy to know that Because as soon as they're discovered, oh, the bolt will be there. It yeah, is. so it's... It, it's just one of the shames of like pop culture Christianity is like we cartooned Satan to the point where we like we just don't even think he's real. And that's his greatest trick. That's yeah. honestly Satan's greatest trick. If I was Satan, that's what that would be my goal is to get people not to believe that I exist. Because then I got him. Because then everything's fair game. Because if I don't exist. Then God, that means God doesn't exist. Yeah. And if God doesn't exist, you can do whatever you want, no consequence, and you end up in hell. That's, I mean, that's Satan's greatest masterpiece. What else you got in there? Do you know what the principle of subsidiarity is? Yes, but I want you to explain it so people know. Because some people might not know, and I wouldn't want to deprive that. So it's under the umbrella of catholic social teaching right like a rule and stuff yeah like how do we like operate society right and so subsidiarity is a principle that basically says the lowest level possible uh should handle the problem and so what that means is in government this is what they're talking about and so if i have somebody break into my house right now interrupts our podcast all rude like you know we wouldn't call the Pentagon to come solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's too high up the chain. Yeah, call the, the Secretary of Defense. Yeah, the Catholic principle of subsidiarity is the lowest level that can handle it, handles it. So we would call local police. Right. And it's actually kind of a critique against like communism, where everything yeah. is sort of controlled by the state. The, the church is saying like the local level, if it can handle it, needs to handle it. If it can't handle it, then you go up a level. And so um, it's just one of the things for Catholic social teaching. Like, think about it this way. Where where this is actually, contextually, where this matters was during population control. Mm. The church was very vocal saying that, that the government has no right to tell you how many kids you can have. Who can tell you how many kids you can have? The parents. They're the ones who make that decision. That's the lowest level that can handle that decision. You know what I mean? So, just a little thing. Yeah, that's good. What are you looking at? Well, I see. Th- I I made a uh, since it's like I'm not finding anything in the news. Probably because of the time of the year. Fun fact. We're just having all these fun facts. We're recording this like right after Christmas. It's December 26th. Yeah, so there's like, you know, uh, Feast of uh, St. Stephen. So shout out to him, martyr. Um, Yeah, it's like all the news about Catholicism is very tame. So I'm not finding anything like crazy. I mean, on Twitter, which is a cesspool, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, there's people like criticizing Governor Abbott for dropping off a bunch of migrants in front of uh, Kamala Harris's house or whatever in 18 degree weather or whatever. I don't care about any of that. So like, that's pretty. That's like I said, it's a cesspool. Like well, then you just sit there and you comment on, or better yet, you know what you should do? Yeah. Grab an encyclopedia. Let's do that. Grab one. I have 12 of them. <laughs> you should grab it because I'm currently attached to. Uh, okay. 
the well, soundboard. I'm going to grab it, but while I grab it, you explain what that picture is right there. The Stational Churches. Oh. The Stational Churches of Rome. It's the four main cathedrals of Rome. Yeah, the four, yeah I did see. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> you just hand me this encyclopedia and say, tell them about this picture. And like, the stational, stational Churches of Rome. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's the four cathedral. Oh, thanks. All right, fine. I'll take it back. <laughs> First of all, that encyclopedia I just handed you, the, pic- the page you opened up to, yeah. there's a little piece of paper. Is there a secret message in there? Nope. Dang Unless, it. Well, well, wait. Nope. Dang it. That would have <laughs> been awesome. I do like finding old notes and books and like seeing what possibly could be written on them. Oh, I found a... When we were renovating this house, this house hadn't been renovated. The house that I own hadn't been renovated since like the 60s. Oh, wow. So we're like ripping it apart, like renovating it. And then in the pantry, we found an envelope off to the side. Whoa. And we're like, oh my gosh, is it filled with cash? (laughs) It was like a coupons. It was a really boring note about forestry regulations. Forestry regulation? I'll explain this picture <laughs> that I'm looking at since uh, yeah. you can't. Since uh, yeah, I don't know anything It's about the four main cathedrals in Rome, and you actually don't know about that? Well, I know like St. Paul, out of the Wall, St. Peter, John Lateran, and I don't know what the fourth and one is. And then the it's one on Mary, but I don't remember the name Oh, of Mary it. Major? Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Let's and see. so there's, like, for some reason, Rome decided they need four like flagship cathedrals. Um, and they cover the four corners of the city of Rome. And so even though St. Peter's Basilica is the most famous yeah, and where they held the Second Vatican Council and the big one that everyone goes to, St. John Lateran is actually the official cathedral of the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. Did you know that fun yeah, fact? Yeah, I did know that fun okay. fact. That is actually where the cathedra is. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to explain that, or you just want to say cathedra is Latin for chair, and so like that's where the Pope's authority comes from in terms of his building. Like it's it's the Pope's White House, yes. essentially. Good good analogy. Yeah. So like you know, so whereas you know President Biden will sign uh, laws and executive orders on his desk in the Oval Office, the Pope decrees things. Uh, actually, see, see now I have to go super into the weeds. So actually. The Pope doesn't decree everything from his chair, because if he does decree it from his chair, ex cathedra, that means it is binding and it is infallible. That's papal infallibility. Yes. So only used twice in the history of and it. And it's about Mary. Both of them are about Mary. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah, so yes. So the Pope's chair, his authority in terms of like where his authority is physically at. Is at St. John Lateran in Rome, which is not in Vatican City. It's in Italy, in Rome. Uh, but he only says things ex cathedra when he's exercising his papal infallibility on faith and morals. Interesting. And that came about in the first Vatican Council under what I believe, who I believe was Pius Ninth. And that's when that papal infallibility teaching was brought about. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't 
isn't papal infallibility, wasn't it more to like solve a dispute between the government of England at the time? So it uh, might have been Italy. Because Italy. Pius the Ninth like basically made himself a prisoner of the Vatican. What does that mean? Like because Italy was like uniting or whatever, because the Pope used to have papal states. Yeah. And so Italy was like, yeah, we're not going to do all that anymore. And so they were like uniting. Okay. And the Pope was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I like my land. And I think the church should have its own land. And so he like barricaded himself in the Vatican. Okay. And, and so what does that have to do with and, papal infallibility? Uh, let's see. I thought you knew this. Didn't you take a course I on papal did, but history? That was like six years ago. Okay. Well, I'm not going to remember all that. Um, yeah, First Vatican Council was from 1869 to 1870. And uh, it was part of the counter reference, but, but the doctrine is older. This just solidified it. Oh, is it, is it older? Because <clears throat> the doctrine, like they say, was part of the Counter-Reformation, blah, blah, blah. And so, but this document uh, solidified, like this council solidified it. So I'm going to take it a step further. But the council did, it was about like, because, you know, people... Uh, is basically what happened is there was this political tug of war between the church and various governments. And so the church was losing credibility politically. It was losing political capital. And so the Pope was like, in a way, tried to put like a, I got to be careful because it, it's, a, it's a true teaching of the church. But it, it also, the council came about during very turbulent temporal times. Meaning yeah. That's what I was trying to get you to explain. Yeah. I knew there was like it was a political decision to solidify the teaching. Yes. The teaching itself goes back to the third century yes. because what what happened was the word pope wasn't actually used in vocabulary for like a thousand years. But we did have popes. It was the Bishop of Rome. Right. And so as far back as the 100s, you can find instances of people writing to the Bishop of Rome to sort of make a final judgment on a dispute. Right. It yes. would be like if you had a state court issue that got all the way up to the Supreme yeah. Court. The Supreme Court makes the final yes. decision. And so they did that in the early church with the Bishop of Rome. Um, and the reason the Bishop of Rome had the authority was because at the time, that was where the most Christians were. And so yes. they they put the bishop that they that the church community felt was most qualified in that role as bishop of Rome. Yeah. And and the the papal infallibility has limits. So and it has to be approved by the ecumenical council. So it ha right? so no. Yeah. Oh, oh. Sorry, the book I'm going to let flipping. you explain before I disagree so with you. <laughs> Um, so, according to the teaching of the First Vatican Council, the conditions for ex-cathedra papal teaching are as follows. So, one, the Roman pontiff, the pope alone, or with the College of Bishops, makes a declaration. That's condition number one. 
So it can only be the Pope. He can do it by himself or a joint statement with uh, the College of Bishops, like a council. Or, or, or and, sorry, not or, and. Uh, when it's concerning faith and morals to define a doctrine. And the limit on this is it's not regarding new doctrines. So the Pope can't just come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, guess what? Uh, Mary had other babies. Like, okay. wait, nope, 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 nope. Or he can't come out of the woodwork and say, well, you know, uh, the Quran uh, the is actually inspired word of God, and uh, yeah, we need to put it in our Bible now. Can't do that. What he, all he can do is uh, it, what the Pope is declaring ex cathedra has to conform with sacred scripture and tradition, apostolic tradition. Yeah. So it can't just come out of the blue, pulls it out of his armpit and say, yeah, this is what we're learning now. It has to be something. That's why Mary, it's only been used for Mary, because these Marian doctrines already existed they just throughout the church. Officially they just stamped. weren't declared uh, and solidified until the Pope made his statement. Yeah, I, I I know you and I talked a lot about that on our very first episode. Yeah, a while ago. Scott Hahn's, like, Hail Holy Queen. Right. Where he went through, like, the nitty-gritty history of, like, veneration of Mary. Right. Through the Old Testament, even. Not, obviously, Mary, but, like, yeah. the idea. Um, in, in another example of that, it's not, obviously, papal and valid fallibility because it predates that but the council of trent when they declared purgatory mm -hmm. uh one of the things if you read through the council of trent that they did is uh they cited stuff all the way back to the old testament on where like they basically said our communities already believe this we've just never felt the need to like make it official but since luther's challenging us we're going to make it official basically exactly so yeah so so, like I said, papal infallibility doesn't mean like when Pope Francis says something, the entire Catholic Church has to agree with it. They have to respect that the office of Pope said it, but they don't have to agree with it. Wait a minute. Say that again. So, like, say Pope Francis, for example, Pope Francis uh, is very is very um, concerned with immigration. Yeah. Right, it is very much critical of building a wall. Okay, uh, that Donald Trump, uh, former President Trump, was building. He was openly critical about it. As a Catholic, I can still support building a wall between Mexico and the United States. But as a Catholic, if a Pope declares something infallible. Ex cathedra. Then I have to believe it. Okay. It's dogma. Yeah, so that's a distinction you're making. Yes. And that's probably why it's only been used, what, twice? Twice. twice. And, and like I said, it has to regard, it can't regard anything new. So it has to something that's the sacred scripture revealed or it was apostolic uh, a tradition. And the doctrines regarding Mary, the, the apostles, the, the, the tradition of the early church already believed that. And all the Pope did was declare that as official teaching for um, the whole church. I wanna I wanna tell a personal anecdote here. Yeah. Um 
when I was studying in Rome, I did not know that there were four main churches. We went to the churches. Um, I just thought it was St. Peter's Basilica or Bust, right? And we went into St. John the Laterans, which is the official one. And I remember the priest who was with us told us that, explained, like, like this is the, as you said, the Pope's White House. And I was like, what's so special about this church? It's very underwhelming compared to St. Peter's. But we went in there, and St. John Lateran has statues, like immaculate statues of the 12 disciples. Mm. And I remember the— 12 apostles? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. And I remember I saw Peter's one, and he's like, it's like a pose, like, you describe the pose, I'm going to do the pose, you describe it. So he's reaching, and he's looking up toward what he's reaching for. Yeah. <laughs> That's it? No, but no I, keys. I'm telling you. Oh, you're telling I'm me. telling you about a profound personal experience. Okay. I, I remember I like looked into the eyes, mm. and I was like, Oh my God, he's staring through my soul. The history <laughs> of the church is yeah. penetrating my soul. That's what I felt. Yeah, it's an amazing statue. Did the statue have keys? Uh, yes, yes, I believe oh, it, it did. did. Okay, I have good. a picture on my phone of it because right. I remember I was so like enamored with it. But yeah, well, I was asking just because you said this was at a Protestant church. <laughs> No, this was at St. John Lateran. This was at John Lateran. Yes. Okay. What? What? Sorry, I was looking up responses to papal infallibility. That's probably why I, I yeah, my brain doesn't process two things. If you could listen time. to me better going on this next year, <laughs> I'd really appreciate that. The rift is beginning. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so St. John Lateran, of course. So yeah, Peter would have had keys. Yeah, and I'm gonna find the picture for St. you. St. John Lateran is like the catholic church so yeah yeah it's it's a really amazing to go into those cathedrals is really amazing but i i just remember like i'm not i'm not that into art like you should post that picture that statue on the instagram i'm actually i might when we post this episode yeah but like i'm i'm not that into art but yeah, I. I remember being like really taken aback by okay so here's the picture right there oh my yeah and does he have a key? Yes, indeed yes, he, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah, he has two of them. Yeah. That's so cool. Isn't isn't that a crazy statue? Yeah, he looks like he's, like, proclaiming something. Yeah, he's... it just feels like you got to listen to him. Yeah, as and you do. As far <laughs> as far statues go, that's, that's magnificent. That's yeah, you should definitely, uh, when we post this episode, you should put that up. Yeah. 100%. Okay. In fact, that should probably be like your post for this episode should be that statue. I will. I'll do it. All right. And then only the real listeners will understand <laughs> the connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just put like, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was great. We've talked about a lot of, a couple things. Nuns, papal infallibility, Vatican I. We're really hitting a lot of topics here. I can't help but notice you had a picture of, like, stars or something. Oh, this is uh, meteors. Popularly called shooting stars, meteors are lumps of matter. See, why is that in the calendar? I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, Fulton Sheen. Hey, now, wow. We, You know what we have to do is we have to read one of his books. I got, I got the... 
I want to do that book soon, The Wisdom of Fulton Sheen. Yeah. Because I feel like people might actually be more familiar with that because they handed that out at churches at one point. This is true. Yeah. It's like a 365 day, it's like a daily devotional. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never I mind. think so. I haven't. I haven't read it. I haven't either. looked at it in a while. I have two of them right there, as you can see. Uh, but I haven't. I'm attached to my, the, not my, our, your soundboard, so I'm not gonna go grab it. Okay. Well, I but we grab- should cover Fulton Sheen at some point. Yeah, we he should. He was the Archbishop of New York. Uh, he won uh, 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 um, Emmys for being on TV. Yeah, and he's in the process of becoming beatified, isn't he? It's a slow and painful process for him. I I, I don't know what's what the holdup is with him. Um, I don't know if like they're investigating. I don't know what's going on. I know New York fought for a long time to keep his body, uh, and I guess that was part of his part of the process uh, to see if he's like incorruptible or whatever and. That's now, not a prerequisite to be a it's saint. It's not, though. and it's now it's in Peoria. Uh, they had to do this through the courts. Like the archdiocese in New York wanted to keep him. What and does that mean, keep him? I, like just like I, like have his remains? Oh, okay. But the people in Peoria, Illinois, wanted him because that's where he's from. Yes, and so there's this whole fight, and I don't know. That's a bunch of church politics that I'm not fully familiar with, but. So he is, I'm pretty sure he's, yeah, he is venerable. Yeah. Um, so just to talk about Fulton Sheen, if you guys are familiar with Bishop Barron, he was like the Bishop Barron of like the 1950s. Yeah. He had a, a cable TV show that was very popular. And just like Barron, and there's not a coincidence because Fulton Sheen is like the main influence for Bishop oh, Barron. Oh, yeah. He's the Bishop Barron before Bishop Barron. Yeah, and what he, his TV show was very simple. He would just pick a topic on Catholicism, and it would range anywhere from like Catholic social teaching to like angels, and then he would just lecture on it for twenty minutes. But the way he lectures, if you listen to him, because a lot of his episodes you can find, but if you listen to him, he just like it's almost like listening to like a really like an evangelical pastor. Yeah. Like a really dynamic. He's very dynamic and charismatic. Yeah. Yeah. So it says uh, during the late 1920s and 30s, uh, Father Sheen, listen to that. Look how old this is. Father Sheen. Wow. Attained prominence as a speaker and was invited to be a guest lecturer throughout the United States and England from 1930 to 1945. He preached on the Sunday radio program known as the Catholic Hour in June 1934. Um, And then it just goes on and talks about it. But um, he had his own radio show and television program called Life is Worth Living. Since September 12, 1950, Sheen has been United States Director of Society for Propagation of Faith. Um, so, yeah, it was he's just a really interesting guy and really great, really great communicator of the faith. Yeah, I recommend... Uh, I recommend just going on YouTube and looking up his stuff and just hearing him preach and... He's phenomenal. It's timeless too, because I remember I watched an episode from like the fifties, and it didn't feel like I was watching something from the fifties. You know, it felt like a right. modern. Oh yeah, and yeah. and the the thing is, he prophesied some things, uh, and very similar to what uh, Pope Benedict also prophesied, is that the church would get smaller and more faithful. And so he's, 
a big deal. I have a funny story about Fulton Sheen. Um, my grandparents, one year, they go to Ocean City every year. Okay. Yep. But they're in, they drive because they keep their car. They live there for the whole summer. They live okay. there for like five, six months. Uh, but they're at that age where they can't really make a nine hour drive safely, you know? And so they asked if me and my wife would be willing to drive them. And then as in return, spend a few days down there in Ocean City with them, Maryland, Ocean City, Maryland. And so we agreed. My wife was working night shift at the time. So we left early in the morning. And so my wife slept the whole car ride. But the thing about people in their 90s is they don't really listen to music or in their cars like oh yeah we just or maybe other people do but my grandparents don't and so we're just in silence driving for nine hours and then my grandfather's like do you mind if i put something on the radio and i was like please god (laughs) literally anything (laughs) do you mind if i put something on the radio and at this point in time natalie was like starting to like wake up and then he puts on a lecture from Fulton Sheen on and my grandma and my wife were like, like this is boring. <laughs> meanwhile, you meanwhile, me, I was like, you could not have picked a better thing to put on for me to listen to for the next four hours because, and he talked, it was great. He's great. It was, I was listening to CD stuff and uh, it was good stuff. That's amazing. But it was just funny because like, it's like, of course, you you go to nothing, and then, like, what's a little bit better than nothing? It's like, you ask any person, and they're, like, Catholic preaching from the 50s. Like, that just sounds boring. It sounds backwards and but terrible. But because it was Fulton Sheen, it was awesome. Yeah. That's how good he Fulton is. Fulton Sheen, venerable Fulton Sheen is... Neo-scholasticism. Boy, this is a horrifying picture I'm looking at. What like are you this. looking at? Oh, Wow. That is crazy. That's gonna. That's gonna. I don't, I don't know what that is. Who is that? Uh, Terence, Roman writer of. Comedy. Oh, I was looking at the picture on the top left. Oh, that it looks is... like Michael Myers from 1837. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about the monstrosity on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about because they can't see it. That's all right. Science and faith. Tennyson was bewildered by the new theory of evolution and shaken by debates about biblical accuracy. Although a member of the Church of England, he greatly feared death and had doubts about the existence of a personal God. In memoriam is a somber, almost gloomy chronicle of his efforts to overcome these fears. His Victorian audience, also troubled by loss of faith, shared the poet's mood, moods of despair for the same reason. Do you know um, who Lord... Tennyson is? Nope. Me either. Well, who is that guy? Apparently he was a Victorian poet. Uh, what time are we at? We're at like 51 minutes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we can call it here if you want. I got nothing else. I really failed us. Today. I'm going to be honest. You weren't much help. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, we, we, I mean, my contributions... We're on PayPal and Foul Billy. That's that's where I made my money today. Now that I'm we make money on this yeah. podcast. But if we did, that's where I would get my 
by royalties. If you're still with us at this point, <laughs> you know, maybe this may be the first and last. We don't know. It might be the first of many to come. Yeah, we don't know. I'm looking at a picture that says a Somali girl at a political meeting in 1960s. What's the context? Uh, the beginnings of the church in the Somali Republic date from the establishment of Italian rule in the late 19th century. And most Catholics are of Italian or mixed Italian and Somali origin. The church plays no part in political life of the country and exerts little cultural influence. Few Catholics hold positions of importance. Yeah. All right. Um, that's probably a good thing because as we know, it does not work out for Somalia after the 1960s. Nope. Black Hawk Down. Yup. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what we talked about nuns. We talked about uh what else? Papal here, infallibility, here Vatican was, One. Here was my vision for this episode. Is I've always felt that Catholicism is just like overwhelmingly rich in tradition yeah. and information and stuff. Yes. And so I was like, let me grab an encyclopedia and just see what sticks out to me. See what dots I can connect. Yeah. And in terms of that, we connected a few dots. We did. I think maybe in the future we come in with something already, like a starting point. Because yeah. we kind of, you know, we started with nuns. And then how did we get to, uh, we talked about the smoke of Satan in the Vatican and then we talked about papal infallibility. Like, I don't know how we got down that road. But we got there. It's like very ADHD of us, which I think is awesome. All right. So version two of this. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe come in with something. spend about 20, 30 minutes looking for stuff. Before we record. Before we record. Yes. But I do like how we naturally progress through different topics, though. I mean, well, yeah, it happened. Yeah. It was a thing. I thought the banter was quality. The Martyrdom of Stephen Tapestry. Check that out. Hey, today is the Feast of St. Stephen. Is it really? Yeah. The first Christian martyr from the Acts of the Apostles yes, that St. Paul witnessed? that was witnessed? the first reading today. Really? Yeah. He is the proto-martyr. Uh, what is... Tradition says he was, what, maybe 17 when he got martyred? Yeah, it was not, he was a young dude, a young lad. Now, granted, this episode is being recorded on the 26th. Yeah. Of December. But um, who knows when it will see the light of day, but sometime in January. I like the book Acts of the Apostles. It's just good story after good story after good story. Yeah, maybe uh, while you look through the encyclopedia, maybe one of these times I'll look through the Bible and just pick something out. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. We should do. Unless something crazy's out on the news that I feel we should discuss. But today was not the day. We should do Acts of the Apostles, by the way. We should. Because there's a lot of. A lot of history in that. In terms of church history, yeah. that's like the that's richest the book first in the Bible. Book yeah. In terms of like Christian history. Yeah. Afterlife of Christ, that book is it. Yeah. What's well, part two to Luke's Gospel? Yes. So it's only also natural. a fun fact. Yeah, See, fun fact. So many just, fun facts. We could today. just fun fact actually. Fun fact. All day. Anyways, uh, hope yeah. you enjoyed that. Yeah. And, and if not, we don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> no hard feelings, really. Not at all. Yeah. All right. Peace. Bye.